previously on the World Builders Podcast. Not everything likes to eat leafy green things and truffles. I mean, if you're in New Zealand, yes, everything. There is no predators. There are no predators there, so... Also, you should see Monica's face right now as Josh is describing this. Like, if he just got a little closer on the mic, we could have species creation ASMR going on right now. Do we have room for a bat? Probably. Oh, there's room for a bat. I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. And I'm Monica. And now, the season finale of the World Builders Podcast. Hello there, I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. And I'm Monica. And this is the World Builders Podcast, because you can't build a planet without a plan. In this podcast, we, your hosts, explore settings in genre fiction by crafting them here and now for you, our listeners. And in the first part of this episode, uh, sorry, this one's a two-parter, we talked about the star signs used by the people of Alteran. And now we're going to tackle some miscellaneous topics, starting with some fan questions and then a topic that I know Carrie has been waiting for all season. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> and she just can't hide it. There's always those little things in world building that, like, they don't really matter to the story, but they're just so satisfying to have in there. And oh, I can't wait. And they matter for your your integration into that world, I feel like, so... Yeah, it's it's not always the the big overarching rules that, you know, really make a world, but the little nuances that actually make it feel alive. Like for instance, whether sweet and spicy curries are considered masculine and feminine. That was a Stormlight Archive reference. Got it. Okay. I was wondering what the reference was. Though actually the first question that we do have is one that can affect the story in very big ways. Um, this is one that we got from Jay on Facebook, and it is one that was asked very early on in the series. Um, actually, I think when our first episode came out, but we waited to answer it until the Q&A episode because we wanted to be able to delve into it more than for five seconds. And that is, obviously, artifacts are very coveted things, so there's going to be a black market for them. What is that black market like? And it's also good that we saved it for now because we've already talked about the world enough that that maybe the listeners who've been with us since episode one have maybe an idea of how this might work themselves. Um, like they may have thoughts on how this works and you can join our Discord to share your thoughts. This also brings to mind, so when I was a small sheltered child um, seeing mentions of the black market in TV and movies, I thought the black market was a place I did too, just like Gunpoint, the, the reference from Friends, where it's like, ah, oh, I thought that it was your whole, a man was holding a person at a place of gunpoint. Why would anyone keep going there? It's not to be confused with the troll market, which is a place. You just got to know which bridge to go under. <laughs> but really, if you think about it, the black market for artifacts, like, it would probably kind of be hidden in the open. Um, obviously, a lot of these deals are going to be taking place in cities because that's where people gather. You're not going to go out into a field to sell somebody an artifact. That's weird. Yeah, there's not going to be just a dude chilling out with a stall filled with, you know, monster skins and other such not, uh, you know, where he's only there at nighttime with creepy grinding organ music. And That was a Breath of the Wild reference. <laughs> the face that Monica's making right now. 
I dislike this greatly. <laughs> yeah, so so you wouldn't be in the wild trying to sell these these artifacts. You would definitely want to be where people have enough money to pay you for them, which most people who have a lot of money live in cities. Strange, right? That's crazy. Um, but the point I was getting at, I feel like we're like making the most obvious points right now. Like, oh, it would be where people are. But my point of it was, is that like, obviously it's not going to be like child me thought you go into a warehouse and there's a sign that says black market. You're going to have things like a normal legitimate looking stall that maybe you have a certain password that you sell, say to the shopkeeper to get you to be able to see the secret wares or maybe there's a fence who hangs out in one of the seedy local bars that if you have connections you can make a deal with these guys or you're going into the just uh, into the unsuspecting hat shop and again a password or like or you're you are well known to the owner of this hat shop because you buy from them a lot uh and your hat box has a little something extra in it for a fee of course I can see you are interested in the exceptionally rare. <laughs> so yeah, I imagine a lot of this taking place at what seems like legitimate businesses and might actually have legitimate business going on as well as the less savory things. Because you're going to need somewhere to put this stuff. Not all of it is small and can be easily hidden for back alley deals like, for example, drugs in our real world. You can hide a bag of drugs in your pocket, go out behind a convenience store and sell it to somebody and no one is the wiser. But an artifact is going to be bigger. It's going to require a lot more care in how you transport it and how you store it and also how you get it out of the place that you bought it from. So you're probably going to be arranging for deliveries you're going to need a storage facility to be able to hold these places. And it is probably a lot deadlier because the kinds of artifacts that would be sold on the black market are not necessarily the kinds of artifacts that you want floating around unguarded or handled improperly. And let's be honest, the people that are handling these things, some of them are probably very good at what they do because that's how they make money, but some of them probably are in it for a quick buck and don't really know how to handle what they have. So it's like like a uh, illegal gun market for uh, for people who have never shot firearms. Yeah, more or less. I mean, because that's the unfortunate nature of artifacts in this world is it might seem like it's functioning properly. But what are you talking about? It's just a normal spear. Sure. I feel like it it would have a lot more of the appearance of legitimate business. You're going to need a lot more of actual storefronts to be able to handle these things because let's be honest in a world where everybody is coveting these artifacts if you go into business in a big city and you buy out a warehouse and there's constantly things coming and going from that warehouse but you have no documentation of what it actually is the government's going to know what it is and they are going to come inspect your warehouse very very quickly and often How's it going, Phil? How's it going, Steve? <laughs> exactly. 
and in more corrupt cities, you may have that happen where, you know, you just pay a handy dandy inspection fee and you go about your business. But more than likely what's going to happen if you're not careful and you're just trying to sell things on the street is you are going to either get shut down and jailed or you're going to get killed by the other guy who's selling this stuff illegally and wants your inventory. Yep. It's a dangerous world out there. And not to mention, you've also got the artificers who are more than happy to just relieve you of your goods if they notice what's going on. (laughs) More than happy. In fact, it's the black market that a lot of artificers target specifically because obviously it's a very lucrative field. So a lot of people who are mishandling artifacts and moving around the stuff that should not be in human hands... Um, they're going to be drawn to that because they want to make money off of it. So it's very easy to just let it come to the black market and then steal it or buy it with counterfeit money and then get the crap out of town because you just bought an artifact with counterfeit money and they're going to come after you. Man, there sure have been a lot of arsons lately. Do you think we should check out the fireworks warehouse? Nah. It's it it's funny because it's like the, the artificers in that case would be like, letting letting those black market dealers do their own legwork for them they don't have to do as much like ahead of time prep so it makes sense that they would spend that time just being in the city and knowing what's going in and out so there's also probably a good market for information not just actual items but information about those items and what's being fenced and where is probably a really lucrative business to be in. Extremely. Yeah, man. Emerson's got a real knack for finding all that real old stuff, but you know, I've never actually seen him at the palace. Why Why wouldn't he be offloading all those goods on the noblemen's for, you know, tidy profit? Because, hey, world without precious gemstone, gold, and whatnot, easy access anyways, in this particular area, they got to base the treasury on something. Yep, or like, for example, there's this rug shop in our area that I think finally did actually close, but it was a it was a rug store that was open something like two days a week, and it was there for years, and there were rugs all over the inside of it. You could look in the windows and see them all, but they were only open for two days a week, and our running joke was that it's obviously a shield front that you go in there and take an elevator down and go into a shield base. But on Alteran, that's more than likely something else is going on at that rug shop. Because let's be fair, how expensive are are those rugs and who are they selling them to that they can only run a business two days a week? But still have enough money to pay all of their bills. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, the, the flow of information and the flow of goods and also the flow of counterfeiting. Because again, the countries are basing their treasuries off of the value of the artifacts that they have. And in some cases, it's also going to contribute to things like military power. And also, you don't want random unregistered artifacts exploding in the middle of your city and killing your people. That's kind of bad for running a city. Yeah, people, people kind of make a city work. If you don't have those, you don't have a city. Yeah, see, what you do is you make sure the artifact launches the people into the next city over so that the people die on their city and reduce its rating. 
<laughs> and we're digging real deep here with a roller coaster tycoon reference. <laughs> but my point being is that you want to make sure that if you're moving these goods around the city and one of the town guards stops you and is like, hey, what do you have in that giant box that you're moving around and blocking traffic? Or if you're an amateur, what's in that giant box you're moving around at 2 a.m.? That's not suspicious at all. <laughs> Why, officer, it's your monthly bonus. You're going to want to be able to present something that says, oh, yes, this has already been inspected. It's a box full of smithing supplies that I'm moving through the city at 2 a.m. so it doesn't disrupt traffic. Yeah, exactly. Totally smithing supplies. Nothing other than smithing supplies. Um, so you're going to have the flow of information being a lot more valuable. Um, counterfeiters are going to be a lot more valuable. And you're going to have a black market that ironically does resemble a physical place a little bit more because you need real estate to handle all this stuff yeah i wonder too if the counterfeiters not only for like documents but like what a, what about people who are just con people like they're they're i want i wanted to say con men but that's sexist of me uh <laughs> so like what if they're making counterfeit artifacts like transmuting other materials into what could look like an ancient artifact but they're they're just using that to sell to people so they can get money and then they skip town and go to the next town yeah i mean like can you imagine you know you see a picture of the garricks in a book and then you sculpt what looks like a garrick arm and then you transmute it and you bury it in your yard for a week so it looks all weathered and gross and do some, you know, some extra magic to make sure that that weathering stays. And then you sell it to some unsuspecting tourist because, hey, this is a Garrick arm. How cool is this? Of course, I don't think a tourist would be able to afford that, which is probably your first sign that it's not actually a Garrick arm. But someone's going to be dumb enough to buy that. Yeah. And that also means that the governments have to also invest in that information trade. They have to know what's coming in and out of the city in order to stop things like that. They have to know who's making fake artifacts to sell so that they can get rid of those people. So, so there, there's, there's a lot of different uh, stories you can tell just by thinking about that black market, like thinking about that physical location for selling, buying and selling artifacts. There are so many stories you can tell. Yeah, like you could easily tell Magic Ocean's Eleven in this setting. Oh, dang it. <laughs> You've got my weak spot. <laughs> Spies and bank heists, man. Those, those sing to me for some reason. It's because they have to be so well coordinated. Yeah. Every piece has to line up in place. And seeing it all fit in, it's like completing a puzzle. It's like my favorite thing. And with the Torun, you know, that's a whole lot easier because the pieces can just teleport into place. <laughs> Which makes me think that they're probably very popular for hire by these criminal groups right up until they take the goods and skip town. Mm, yeah, although they would probably get a reputation fairly quick for being unreliable, uh, except with information leading up to the capture of the artifact. See, that's why. So, oh man, actual writing happening live on air. Go figure. That's why 
you get the artificers who are also very good at creating convincing fakes. You have the artificer who got onto this criminal group be the one to take the goods because, oh, I can just teleport into the safe. Using their spatial manipulation abilities, they swap the artifact with a fake. And when they come out of the safe, sorry, boss, it was fake the whole time. <laughs> That's real good. Okay, I don't need to write a Torun character that that is one of these black market dealers, do I? Like, I really don't need to write a story about that. But am I gonna? <laughs> Well, here's a little bit of a treat for the people who listened to the Season Zero content and recognize a guy by the name of Athvari. Uh, that's what he was doing in Tolvera. Is your screaming? <laughs> so there, there is the possibility for some side stories there. That's fantastic. All right. We could probably spend the entire episode just talking about black markets, but we do have some more questions to get through. So we are going to move on. So uh, our good friend Coop on our Discord has asked us, uh, do the people of Alteran have a religion and what is it like if they do? So there's definitely not one concrete standard Orthodox religion for the entirety of the continent. Um, there are, of course, people who subscribe a little too strongly to Zan. I mean, he had a lot of really cool powers, and, like, he literally made a castle appear out of thin air. So, he's sort of like a deity, right? Some people like to think so. It's not uh, it's not as popular. You're not going to see any, you know, First Church of Zen or anything like that. But there are a lot of people who subscribe to the idea that he was never mortal to begin with. He was just kind of there to judge the people and see whether or not they were worthy of this great gift of power and obviously when they proved the you know it wrong he you know noped out of there but he's still watching waiting he might return if we're good that makes me wonder if there's a cult of of zan fanatics out there somewhere more than likely at least one i mean that's a problem with cults once you get one they just start cropping up all over the place of course, we do have the superstitious beliefs relating to the Zodiac. Right, which we went over in the last episode. Yep, star signs and all that they might entail for those born underneath those signs, which is a lot more, a lot more widespread as far as the humanoid equivalent of the Alteran people, because it's something relatively easy to grasp. It's not, it doesn't require a great deal of, you know, knowledge of history and who did what when and so on and so forth or anything like that. It's, oh, hey, look up. The stars are there. Everything's okay. Yeah. I can also imagine, so not that, I'm, I'm guessing the other races on Alteran, based on what we've talked about from them, obviously we wouldn't know if the earth shells had any kind of religion because we don't really know very much about them because they're really reclusive. Right. Uh, that they, all we know is they really like music. So. Oh, but the things they do believe in. <laughs> um, Tantalizing hints. So many. I just want to know. Anyway, um, <laughs> but people, people like the own, not that they're like, obviously very devout but like i can see them i wouldn't say worshiping but i can see them like being more attuned to the different seasons 
um, just because of the way that they live, but not necessarily like worshiping them because it would seem out of character for them, I think. Yeah. So as far as the owner concerned, the closest that they have to any sort of recognizable, organized spiritual beliefs is, I guess you could call it like the sort of ancestral spirit belief as long as they can maintain the integrity and the dignity and the power of the lineage of those who came before them, then those, those individuals are so strong that they can continue to affect things from the next life. I like it. So you want to be a tribute to your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents strength. And in turn, you raise your own offspring to be a tribute to your strength. Indeed. How much would you say there's been bleed over from the Altai humans to the um, to the Silva because of all the story sharing? As we've discussed in the episode they were featured in, the Silva are almost obsessively inquisitive. They do love other people's stories. They love stories in general. And so the star signs obviously are a very appealing thing to them because it's not something that's ever really written down much it's a very strong oral tradition about how these creatures lived how they affect the year so on and so forth obviously you're not gonna see a whole lot of uh cult of zan subscribers among the silva but probably at least a handful of them who are like oh yeah dizanga he was a real interesting fellow and whatever happened to him it would be really neat if someone could figure out what happened to him. Maybe eventually someone will. Yeah. Maybe. But they definitely, their beliefs, I want to say, more closely align to that of the Baralanx. Whereas they don't have one central figure of worship or belief like the Baralanx do. But it's like a... We'll dip a little into the DC purview for a second here. Uh, there's this concept of the green, which both Swamp Thing and Poison Ivy are aspects of, in that there is just a general overarching supernatural power to nature. So like what I'm studying in real life? Eh, kind of, sort of. And so both the Silva and the Baralanx are very much respectful and reverent to the natural world. But whereas the Baralanx of Alteran have a central, a tree in particular, that is the, their idol, respectively, uh, the Silva don't have that same sort of uh, figurehead, so to speak. They just look at the natural world and go, I like this. This is neat. So, so the Baralanx have this, this one tree. Do they have a physical location for this tree? Uh, yes, but good luck pinning it down and finding it. <laughs> nice. It exists in the very heart of the forest where they are most prominently found. And if they don't want you there, you are never going to find it. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, you think the Lost Woods were bad? <laughs> I got nothing on the lay leaf. Yeah, when the trees can rearrange themselves to keep you out, good luck getting anywhere. Yeah. And when the trees can fight back if you try to cut a path. And also, if some of them are resistant to fire. Yeah, you're not getting in there anytime soon. Yeah, and not to mention, obviously, the presence of trees affects the rain cycle, right? You have a high concentration of sentient 
plant people who can use magic. If you try to light them on fire, they'll just put themselves out. <laughs> Impenetrable fortress. Impenetrable forestress. Uh, yes, exactly. I'm trying to think if we forgot any of the races, but I don't think we did. So basically what I'm getting the feel of for um, for the humanoid races of Zanthuru is they tend to be, I guess you could say, more on the spiritual but not overtly religious side of things, except for the cultists. Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of established churches anywhere on Alteran because, as I said, there's not one cut and dry, we live and die by this book sorts of religions to be found. Yeah, and I can say that for the for the Turun, because they do do a lot of shady things as a society. They do a lot of breaking and entering and stealing and counterfeiting and stuff like that. And yeah, they say it's in the name of the common good and they believe that, but they're still doing it. So their spiritual practices will tend to focus more on things like introspection, balancing your actions on centering yourself and making sure that you never go too far. And that makes sense. Because there is a line between I'm going to take this dangerous weapon of mass destruction away from you before you can detonate it. And I personally don't think you should have that. So I'm going to kill you. Yeah, it's a pretty stark line. Yeah. So maybe be cognizant of where that line is and don't cross it and try to put good back into the world where you can. So, yeah. Good question, Coop. Yeah. We appreciate good questions. We appreciate all questions, really, but good ones are, are help us talk for 15 minutes about. So our next question, I don't know who it comes from or, or anything. It comes from me. Oh, all right. So our next question comes from one of our, one of our hosts, Carrie. Uh, <laughs> how many moons does Xanthuru have? That is a very good question. And the answer is... Ten. That's a lot of moons. That is a lot of moons. I like that you just rolled for it. That's fantastic. Well, because previously I only needed to know that it had at least one. And that's the thing is that a lot of people will just assume one moon because that's the Earth default. We're so used to that happening that that's just, it's just a thing. It, there's here, there's a moon, there's the moon, over the moon. How many times does over the moon appear in fiction, in somebody's prose. Over the moon, to the moon and back. It's always singular. But then we have to stop and take a look back at the original information we set out about this planet in its development. It's big! Would anyone care to quickly take a Google break and ask, how many moons does Jupiter have? There are very many. Actually, I put I typed how many mo and it it auto suggested how many moons does Jupiter have? Jupiter has 53 named moons and another 26 that are awaiting official names. Yep. And so a lot of those actually come from this is my science fact of this episode. Uh some of those moons are asteroids that got too big and got pulled in by Jupiter's gravity. Like I want this asteroid, it's mine now. Thanks. I like this and ooh, that one's pretty. <laughs> is jupiter a hoarder you guys it might have a problem we might want to have an intervention that just makes me wonder how many of these moons are actually visible are all of them visible or some of them just little specks 
there's probably a fair mix because you also have to stop and think we get to see most of our moon on pretty much a nightly basis, depending on what phase it's in. But again, that's our planet and our one singular moon. When you stop and think about a planet the size of Jupiter, and in this case, as we've discovered today, 10 moons, how long is it going to take an individual moon of any given size to make it around a planetoid that size? Also, the tides on that planet are going to be insane. Yeah, because think about how much the moon affects Earth's tides, right? One, that's one with one moon. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> what about ten? Ooh. That does track, though, because think about what we know so far of the planet. Nobody really has talked about other continents on the planet, but they have the capability of building boats and ships and things like that. So why haven't they discovered these other places? If the tides are that crazy, it could be that sea travel is just way too dangerous for them, and maybe they've tried and not gotten very far. It's all coming together. Also, if any of our um, our more mathematically slash artistically inclined listeners want to model what a planet would look like with 10 moons orbiting it that would be really cool so yeah so so basically what we're thinking is there's 10 of them but you might only see two or three of them in the sky at any given moment quite possibly and that's that that's assuming where the orbits are at whether or not one of them is being eclipsed by one of the larger ones man it's got to really suck to be a werewolf on zenthuru <laughs> yeah which moon turns you into the werewolf or is it all of them and does it have to be full? Is it full moon on this moon, quarter moon on this moon, crescent moon on this moon? All the prerequisites must be met. One of the things that I find interesting, so so if you think about, so we're talking about a, a planet the size of Jupiter who has 10 moons. One of those moons, if you if you think about it, like so Jupiter's biggest moon is Ganymede. Ganymede is about the size of Mercury. It's about the size of one of the other planets in our solar system. It's like, it's like 1.08 times the size. That's huge. Depending on how close Ganymede is, is orbiting Jupiter, like depending on how close these moons orbit, they would be huge in the sky. They would be huge. There may not even be phases because you could literally just see the moon, <laughs> like the whole thing just there always. And if there's something that big, is there something living on it? I wish there was something living on Ganymede, but that's another and an entirely other story. So yeah, like I I really would love to see a visual of that. What would that look like? How do we figure out how that would work? How that would affect the tides and the weather and all that? Because think of the amazing landscapes you could get with this huge freaking moon in the sky and two or three more of them scattered around. Like it would be something that to us would look like a dreamscape. And it would be really difficult for an ecologist to parse. Just saying. Though we do know that they don't dominate the sky entirely, because if they did, we wouldn't be able to see the stars. Because think of how hard it is to see the stars on Earth on a full moon. When it's really bright, it's kind of hard to see them sometimes. I think that just depends on where you are. Maine is one of the best places to look at the stars, no matter what time of you know, anytime. Like, as long as it's nighttime, you can see the stars, so. Yeah, you gotta step and think about light pollution. 
Yeah. Maine has one of the lowest light pollution. Like, is it is one of the places with the least light pollution in the United States. It's one of the places where people go uh, to study astronomy because of that. So that actually does bring up a good point though of your own personal biases affecting your writing i was born and raised in the tampa bay area which is a very large metropolitan area there are some nights where if the moon is bright you can't see anything but the moon there are some nights where the light pollution is so bright that even on a new moon you can see maybe two or three stars so i'm just used to going oh moon's out can't see anything and for me i'm used to being able to see every single constellation in the sky because it's Maine and it gets dark at four o'clock in the evening. Uh, and you get to see the, the light you get to see the starlights um, forever. So. Yeah. And that's my personal bias making me think that these tribal Alte people who wrote this Zodiac poem before Zan even showed up, wouldn't be able to see the stars because of the moons when actually, Oh wait, that's probably not the case. Which is why it helps to have multiple perspectives when you're writing things. That's why you have alpha and beta readers. That's why you have players in, if you're making a tabletop game, like, you know, like we're doing. Um, But like, it's why it's helpful to have other perspectives on whatever you're working on. Also, that just makes me think, I wonder if it would be easier for for historians to date writings. Because if somebody is writing, you know, a journal entry and they're talking about seeing this moon or that moon in the sky, if you know what the historical names of those moons are compared to the names of the moons that we know them as, can you calculate back and see here's a likely date that they would have seen these? Yeah, because it's probably really rare for them all to be in the same position, like, the positionalities of them would determine a sort of time scale, uh, most likely. In 15 years precisely, the planets will align ever so nicely. (laughs) But they're moons. Well, yes, but I I love that little (laughs) bit from Hercules and I could not. All right. Well, those are all of the questions that we had. So we have just a few little miscellaneous, well, one in particular miscellaneous thing that we wanted to talk about that we've been wanting to talk about since like episode three of this season uh i mean maybe even episode one uh we just didn't find a way to fit it in yet um and we figured the last part of this last episode of regular season content um (laughs) would be a really good place to talk about it mix it into the delightful potpourri exactly uh so we're going to talk about swears. So obviously there are earth swears. We all know them. We're all adults. Um, <laughs> most of us probably. But in science fiction in particular for me, and also maybe fantasy, I find it very difficult to think that the swears are going to be the same as earth swears. Yeah, I'll be reading a fantasy book and someone will drop an F-bomb and it completely kills my immersion in the story. Because then you remember, oh right, the real world exists. That's a word I would hear every day. (laughs) But swears really, just like any other part of the vernacular, they grow up around the culture that shapes them, which means that they're going to be different. And so what type of swears 
would you expect to hear on Altairin? What would you expect to write your character saying if they're decided to be very foul-mouthed? Because, yeah, you can write around it and just say so-and-so swore. But sometimes you need that little extra punch. And maybe you don't want to break immersion. Or maybe you just don't like swearing, but want to write a character who does. Fake swears are the answer. It's an example, a good example of this that happened in popular media is Firefly. Um, It's one of the first ones that I remember it having swears but they're in Chinese. So they're aired on television because they're not speaking English. And so they're allowed to pass the censor because they're not speaking English. Stormlight Archive has some really good ones too. Yeah, Stormlight Archive. A lot of Brandon Sanderson's works have a, have have good swears. And of course, my personal favorite catch-all curse word of all time, smeg. Hmm, yeah. Yep. Red Dwarf is a, is a very special... Um, a very special beast. Anyway, so swears on Altaran, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take the easiest one first because it's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. We spent a whole episode talking about the zodiac. I am going to guess that anything related to snakes is gonna be a no go. That is gonna be a very bad word that that you're not gonna want to say anywhere serpent or like yeah like i think you may have brought up like serpent tongued is a very bad like no thanks um (laughs) the the one that i thought of um when we were discussing the possibility of doing this episode in the first place i was talking to josh in the car about it was if you want to tell someone to heck off in less polite terms um again dealing with the imagery of the serpent is you tell them to get bit Mm, nice i like that or uh, or some form of slither, like slither on out of here or something like that. Get the hints. Yeah, I like I like Shakespeare swears myself, but that's you know. I bite my thumb at thee. I'm not saying that I'm very fond of using snake imagery as as bad things because snakes tend to get the the you know the short end of the stick a lot of a lot of the time, and I love snakes. Snakes are really cool. I think it fits for this scenario, obviously. Absolutely. Um, there could also probably be something to do with, for example, so people transmute materials all the time. They might take whatever dirt they can find and transmute it into stone. They might transmute clay into metal. So there's probably vernacular having to do with something that is maybe all shape and no substance or like it's just a facade or you know relating to this idea that maybe some of the people who are transmuting things aren't very good at it or are con people and you think they did a good job until they leave and then your wall crumbles into dust right and it may not even be like that to me think makes me think about idioms rather than swears in particular um so like idioms and swears are 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 fairly closely related what they're, they're pretty much swears are idioms that you don't want your kids to say that's all they are <laughs> if you think about it uh so yeah i mean obviously as monica mentioned we do have the the very super obvious one invoking any sort of serpentine imagery on anyone is the quickest way to tell them exactly what you think about them calling someone a snake calling them snake tongued you filthy little serpent get bit 
Uh, you could probably you could probably do a little bit of parsing of uh, yield venom in there as well. Mm, yeah. Someone who's being particularly foul-mouthed or uh, vitriolic in their words. Their words might be venom-drenched. I was also thinking that, like, since metals and gems are so rare that they could be used in positive ways rather than negative ways. Although they are worthless in this context, so... Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's something to do with that, with worthlessness rather than, rather than rarity. Worth its weight in gold actually means that it sure is nice, but you can't do anything with it. (laughs) Um, Or you're never going to get it. There could also be a little bit of loan words from the other races. For example, the own calling people hornless to being dishonest or cowardly. If humans hear that enough, they're going to start repeating it. Especially if there's someone who keeps company of owns frequently. Like, if you want to explain to an own that's traveling with you that someone is bad news, just call them hornless. Your next big challenge will be making sure that own doesn't kick them. And hey, maybe that's what you want. <laughs> I wonder for the Baralanks if, like, if is thorny a good, a good trait or a bad trait? <laughs> Uh, it depends on the uh, circumstance, I would imagine. Now, I can tell you with no uncertain terms that, obviously, plant people do not take kindly to rot. Yeah, you call someone a blighter to a barrelanx, and and that person is anathema. Which honestly just makes me think that the, that the uh, Silva don't have swears, like, at all. That was my next, uh, my next question, is that Silva kind of appreciate everything. Do they even have any swears? Uh, None of their own. And obviously they don't go out of their way to adopt loan words from the other cultures. If anything, the only times you would generally hear one of those idioms leaving a Silva's mouth is if they're using it to explain something. They're trying to relate to whoever they're talking to, maybe. Or, you know, it might be that you're, they're telling a story in which somebody used those words, and so they're presenting it them in the historical context rather than actually cussing someone out. Now, this one right here, he's what the own call hornless, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so curses relating to serpents, hornless, rot, blight. I can't imagine that Baralanx like insects very much. Uh, it depends on the insects, because, I mean, pollinators are a thing. Yeah, pollinators are nice, but uh, herbivores are a very large group of insects. But there, you also have ladybugs that eat aphids. That's true. But even some of the pollinators, when they're in their larval stages, are herbivores. They, they eat all of the leaves off of trees. Now I'm just imagining barrel with pet ladybugs. Oh. And it's kind of adorable. <laughs> I wonder if if the Baralanx will actually basically farm insects. Like, here are the plants that are not people that you can eat, and then you'll grow up into a pollinator, and it's great. Oh, also, I just... R- random thought bubble of a really good one. Man, if you want Analteran to express that something is a really bad idea, it's lamentable. Ooh. That's really good. I like that a lot. I love when stuff like that happens. <laughs> Just out of nowhere, from left field of the brain, hey, here's this. And as you could tell, it went over very well. The resounding ooze from the audience, that gives you the clue. 
I would love to keep workshopping this as well on the Discord because it's hard to come up with a comprehensive list live on the air, but it does give us a good starting point to work from, as well as, for example, there are probably a lot of curses relating to the other zodiacs as well, to the to the more negative aspects. Like, for example, I was reviewing our show notes from last time, and we talked about how the sign of the mink, one of the characteristics is them, is they're cute, but they are also down to throw down. So you might call somebody mink-tempered if they're a little too eager to fight. They scrappy, a little bit feisty. And yeah, that's not truly a swear, but I guess like swears and idioms, you kind of have to bundle them together, like I said, because swears are idioms. They're the spicy idioms. And it's more entertaining than just saying, you know, you effing this, you effing that, you know, you mink-minded scoundrel, sit down and stop picking fights. It's a nice little addition. It's a nice, like, you're, you're sort of rooted into this new, into this world by the idioms that are used. And I think it's, it shows us like, I have studied uh, French. I studied French for a couple of years and the idioms were always my favorite part to learn because it was kind of a little window into a different way of thinking about the world. Um, Instead of saying it's raining cats and dogs, the French say that it's raining ropes and buckets or knots and ropes or something like that. So it's just a different way of looking at at the same same phenomenon and not to mention you get a you get a lot of public consciousness of stuff like that too because i mean most people are going to understand they have that je ne sais quoi exactly help us come up with swears on the discord oh actually had one more pop-up just now and this is another one of those things that's extremely contextual but man if an earth shell stops to tell you you're loud oof Yikes. I wonder I wonder if the Earth Shells have ever told the own that. One of the great battles of the centuries that nobody has ever seen. <laughs> I imagine that the Earth Shells would have won that one very quickly. <laughs> you disappear into a face of rock. No more oxygen. Sorry. Right. Or you know how in for those of us who have seen the last air Avatar the Last Airbender, you know how Toph will do that thing where she just shoots up a pillar of earth and will yeet people across the scene? Yes. That. Yep. The boulder. <laughs> Make enough noise and the earth shells will remove you. Oh, we could probably go on like this forever, but the, I think that the best place to workshop these with us is on our Discord for sure. Yeah, 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 because we like the people on our Discord, and the only thing we like more than the people on the Discord are the people who have yet to join the Discord, because you need to join us. So yeah, come hang out with us on the Discord. Come help us fill out the rest of the Zodiac and maybe write some new swears with us. And who knows, maybe your contributions will show up on the air on the live play podcast that we are going to be getting out to you very soon. We do not have an official date yet. It is probably almost definitely not going to be 2020. I can tell you that. <laughs> we wanted to also take just a second to thank you guys so much for, uh, for listening to this whole first season or I guess season zero of world builders when we came up with this idea we weren't sure how it was going to play out on screen and we have a better idea of how it's going to work now moving forward into season one content now that does mean that this season is officially over 
but you have to be sure to look out for some bonus content. Uh, we do have some bonus content that we have planned, um, specifically maybe relating to Santhuru. Yeah, okay, it, it is. Uh, <laughs> so it is going to be released at a later date. We don't have a specific release date for that yet, but we will get it out as soon as we know. So for now, we are saying au revoir, almost, to Xanthuru. And if you would like to contact us, you are welcome to do so by shooting us an email at worldbuilders at rhinobot.net. You can also tweet us at Rhinobot Studios. We will be happy to answer fan questions on the air, including about Xanthuru. When we start recording new seasons, you are always welcome to ask us questions about old stuff, and we'll be happy to revisit it for a few minutes to answer your questions and maybe write up a little something new while we're, uh, while we're discussing it. But it may take a little while for your questions to appear on the air, especially now as we're going into a little bit of a break between Season 0 and Season 1. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you bright and early at the start of January 2021 for our next season. Bye-bye. Bye. This show is a member of the Rhinobot Studios family. For more information, including show listings, team member bios, social media links, and our community discord, please visit rhinobot.net.